think with me today. We know how people see each other. We know how people see other people. As we go through life, we see and we observe how people see each other. Uh, some people dislike other people. We can see that. Some people like other people. Some people value people. Some people devalue other people. But it is an observable thing. We know how people see other people. Also, we know how people see God. As we go through life, as we observe the patterns of life, the goings on of life, we know we are able to observe how people see God. There are some people and they revere God. There are some other people and they deny God. There are some people in awe of God, they worship God. There are other people that claim to know him but are apathetic towards God. But again, it is an observable thing. It is something we can see. We know how people see God. Well, here is a great question this morning, and really it is a huge question. It is a deep question, and really the answer today has a tremendous impact. And the question this morning is this, how does God see us? How does God see us? Can we know how the creator God of the universe, can we know how God sees us? Today in our study in the Gospel of Luke, we move today, this morning, into the 15th chapter. And let me just tell you, it is an awesome chapter. I believe it is a, a great chapter, one of the greatest chapters, I believe, in all of the New Testament. And, and really, it's a chapter that I come to with great reverence, and I come to it with great awe, because in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, God himself, if you can imagine that, God himself reveals himself to us. He reveals to us how he sees us, how he relates to us, how he holds us. And I want to tell you today, that is an awesome thing. And so you get ready as we start this morning. And, and I'll just tell you this up front. I would not miss the next couple of weeks. In fact, just go ahead and make it the next year if you want to be careful. But I wouldn't miss the next couple of weeks. I'd invite somebody to join you the next couple of weeks. I would be in prayer for this effort as we see in the 15th chapter how God sees and relates to us. It's going to be an awesome study. Today we're going to start off, and really just, just to start to lay the context out, but we're going to start off by looking at Luke chapter 15, today the first three verses, verses 1 through three. Luke chapter 15, today the first three verses, verses one through three. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 15, beginning here in the first verse, and it says this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying, now I want to read those verses again, listen as we start off. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we come into your presence, not because of our righteous deeds, not because of our 
our status of being worthy somehow, but because of the blood of Christ that gives us his righteousness, that doesn't just cover over our sins, but removes our sin, that we might be in a right standing with the holy God. And so we come today already in all that we can speak to you this morning. I come now and I pray that as as we study your word, that, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you might convict us, that you would teach us, that you would train us. And I pray that as your people filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we would be changed for hearing the truth of your word. I pray for our church. I pray that you bless it. I pray that you lead it. I pray that your hand will be upon it. I pray that we will be about your business, that we would exist for your glory that many might be saved, that the saved would grow in their walk with Christ and together we would exist for your glory until you come again. I come now and I just tell you, we worship you, we love you, and we praise you. And I pray all of this in my Savior's name, in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. As we start off today, as we begin our journey into the 15th chapter of Luke, let me Let me start off by saying, and let me establish this morning, that it matters what we know about God. It absolutely matters what we believe and what we know about God. And it matters that what we believe and what we know about God is the truth about God. It absolutely matters. Today, in fact, always, There has been a temptation and there has been the pull to create God and to perceive God as we would like to see him or as we would like for him to be. And and really our human nature is not to look up to God and to say he is absolutely holy and understanding that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, but instead our instinct is to bring him down to our level and instead of us understanding that we are created in his image, we would rather create him in our image. And that is human nature and it's been that way throughout time. People wanna make God accessible to us by making him like us or as we would like for him to be. I've noticed there's a new movie out, and really that's the thought in that movie. That's the popular thing. That makes us feel good. We want to create God in our image. We want him to be accessible because he is like us. However, the problem is this. If we make God accessible to us by making him like us, then we no longer need and we no longer value Jesus. You see, we have access to God not because he is like us and willing to overlook sin. We have access to God because he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. And so understand as we head here into the 15th chapter, yes, what we believe about God, what we know about God absolutely matters and it matters that it is the truth. And so how awesome is it That in Luke chapter 15, God reveals how he sees us. And by revealing how he sees us, he reveals himself to us. 
And really in both of those things, we see a clear picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, you want to know why I'm in awe of Luke chapter 15? It's because God reveals himself to us and he reveals his love for us. And in it, we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, you won't find anything better than that. So we're excited. I'm excited as we move into this 15th chapter. God's going to reveal how he sees us in that. We're going to see his heart and his nature. And all the way through it, we're going to see his son, Jesus Christ. So let's start. Here we begin in the first verse. It says this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Coming near to listen to him. To him. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Now we need to see some things. We need to understand uh, these people here in the first verse, and we need to understand what it is that they are doing. The Bible says there are two groups of people who are drawing near to Jesus. They're coming near to Jesus. And actually, the, the original word says that they're in the process of getting close, but at the same time, they're getting closer. They're in the, the process of drawing near to Jesus. And the Bible says the reason they're drawing near to Jesus is that they might listen to Jesus. Now, the two groups of people are tax collectors, and the Bible says the sinners. The sinners. Now, I think it's an important thing for us to notice. It says all. So evidently in this region, evidently in this, in this town where he's at, all of the tax collectors and all of the sinners are now drawing near that they might listen to him. Now, be sure and see these two groups of people. The tax collectors were Jewish men who had taken really a job or taken a position with the Roman government, which was the hated government that they would raise and they would deliver taxes to the Roman government. The Roman government would come and they would say, we're going to give you our authority. We're going to give you our army, our soldiers if you need them. And your job is to raise this amount of tax per person. Well, these, these folks, again, could use the, the, the law and they could use the government. Uh, they could use the force of the army to collect it. And anything that they wanted to collect above that amount they could keep for themselves, and that's how they were paid. They could raise the amount for the Roman government, and then above that was what they would keep for themselves. Under that system, they had become a very wealthy set of people. But understand, by the Jewish folks, they were considered traitors. Now think about that. You turned on your own people to raise money for the hated government. They were considered sellouts. When they charged this high amount of, of tax, they were considered crooks. And that's how they were viewed. This was a hated set of people. The religious leaders, the religious system, even counted a tax collector as unclean. They could not come to worship. They were the same as a diseased person. And that's how they are viewed in the Jewish side. The other group referred to here is called the sinners. The sinners. Now see this group as well, I want you to understand these are not people who had just sinned or had, who had somehow entered into sin. All people sin. 
No, understand, these were people who were identified by their sins. These were people that were known for their sins. Whatever their sin was, it was so grievous, they were tagged and they were known by their sins. This, this was a set of people that were deemed as hopeless in their sin. Well, my lands, do you know what their sin is? And do you know how vile it is and how wicked it is? They're hopeless in their sin. These are people that were observed as too far gone in their sin. Their sin was well known and they were publicly ostracized because of their sin. Today, sometimes we classify people in the same category. Well, their sin must surely be worse than my sin. And do you know what their sin is? And it's, it's so wicked. And so they're hopelessly trapped in their sin. And we would classify them in the same manner. Well, the Bible says these two groups were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Right here in the first verse, I thought a couple of things were interesting. Isn't it interesting that all of the tax collectors and all of these ostracized sinners run together? Cast out by everyone else, talked about by everyone else, these two groups run together. I thought that's an interesting thing. I thought it's another interesting thing. These are the people, these groups that are cast out by the religious folks these are the folks that are, are called disgusting and, and, and people that no one wants to have anything to do with. These are the folks that draw near to Jesus. Isn't that an interesting thing? Look at verse 2. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There are two groups of people here in the second verse as well. The Bible says the Pharisees and the scribes. Understand this morning, these were the religious people. Actually, they were the, the Jewish religious elite people. These were the, the most religious people that there were. And, and they were looked up to for their religious standing. And they were looked up to because of their religious influence. And so we have that, those two sets of people. Well, notice here. While the first two groups are drawing near to Jesus, here in the second verse, notice what these two groups are. They are grumbling about Jesus. They are found grumbling about Jesus. That's what the second verse tells us. Now I'm gonna take a side road here for just a second. I'm gonna take a turn here for just a moment. I want us to see something here. See here in the second verse, it says these people, these religious people were grumbling. Another translation says they were murmuring. I want to ask the question today, is that a big deal? Here are these people, they're religious people, they're upheld as outstanding there in the religious system and they're found grumbling about Jesus. Is that a big deal? Here's what I want to point out this morning and you be sure and listen today. You be sure this is good information. This is useful th stuff this morning. The truth is this, when you hear grumbling, you will find a distraction from the work of God. Be sure and hear that this morning. When you hear grumbling, you will find a distraction from the work of God. Very simply today, grumbling and the work of God do not mix. I want to translate it from the Greek to Vernon, Texas language. Grumbling ain't good. 
Let me tell you something. Grumbling ought to be a red flag. When you hear somebody, they're grumbling, it ought to make our ears perk up. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, it says, and so the people began to grumble at Moses. In Exodus chapter 16, verse two, it says, the whole nation, they're now dissatisfied with God's plan. And it says that they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Oh, that we would have died back when we were in Egypt. In the New Testament, the book of Jude describes them. It describes these grumblers. In Jude chapter one, verse 16, this is actually what it says. It says, these are grumblers finding fault following after their own lust. It's all about them. It's about what they want. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. They appear as nice in order to get their way. That's how the book of Jude describes them. In Philippians chapter two, verse 14, it tells us this. Do all things without grumbling. It is a sin. Now, as I talk about that this morning, that may sound kind of funny. That may be something we chuckle about, but I just want to tell you this morning, if you find yourself with a person and they don't like this and they're able to find fault with this or they're able to find fault with this person and they did this thing or they didn't do this thing and everything is all wrong and they may appear to have your best interest at heart or the church's best interest at heart, but when you're around them, all you hear is blah, 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 and it's all foul and it's all negative. I want to tell you today, the biblical truth is, and it's 100% of the time, it is a distraction from the mission of God. It is dishonoring to God and the Bible. The Bible says it is a sin. God forgive me if I've been a grumbler. I want to point out something here. The religious grumblers killed Jesus. The religious grumblers hurt still his church. Now that's a side point. I just put that in there. I believe the Bible wanted to point that out. Let's get back to the main point. These people, these Pharisees and scribes, these grumblers are saying of Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now be sure, that's, that's a big statement right there. Their complaint about Jesus, what they're grumbling about Jesus is this man receives sinners. Now there's a lot to, to understand in that word receives. He accepts sinners and he eats with them. That's what they're saying about Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me show you the point here. These religious folks, they thought that they were doing pretty well. And they thought that their religious practice was impressing others and so surely it must be pleasing to God as well. Well, here's the problem with that. The Bible says no one is righteous. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 20. The Bible says there is no one who does good. Psalm 14, verse one. The Bible says all have become corrupt. Psalm 14, verse three. The Bible says all like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53, verse six. The Bible says our best deeds, the best thing that you could ever do are but filthy rags. Isaiah 65 says that. See here, the problem with these Pharisees and these scribes is not that they were too righteous as they thought about themselves, as they promoted about themselves, but the problem is they were not righteous enough. 
They were not good enough. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this. Pretty interesting, the same set of people. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem here is that they had made a distinction that God doesn't make, and that is this. First off, they thought there was a group that were too bad and were too far gone to receive God's grace. And the second thing, they thought they were righteous enough that they didn't need God's grace. But I want to tell you the truth is, they all and we all need a savior. The truth is they all and we all are lost without God's grace. The truth is they all and we all are hopeless on our own. But the good news is that the, what they were grumbling about is the truth of the gospel. What they were grumbling about is the truth of our savior. It is the demonstration of God's grace and that is that he receives sinners and eats with them. That's talking about our savior. That's talking about Jesus Christ and what they thought was a negative thing is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what? They needed a savior. We need a savior and he receives sinners and he eats with them. Praise God. That is our savior. And then he turns and he launches into the next three parables to point his nature, his relationship with us, and the truth of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come today. I'm thankful that in three verses I already start to see my Savior. I start to see the good news of the gospel that all of us are lost condemned, guilty in our sin outside of a relationship with Christ, but a holy God who needs not one thing from us or me sends his only begotten son. The world says he receives sinners and he eats with them. And the truth is, he came to save sinners. That One day together we'll sit at a table. We'll dine with him, not because of our works, not because of a religious system, but because of the grace of a mighty God. We thank you for that. I pray now in this hour that you've spoken to us. Pray that we have heard your truth. Pray that we've been changed by it. Pray that we would look forever different. And I pray as we go into the next few weeks that our hearts and our eyes will be set upon the grace of God shown through Jesus. I pray that you move in this hour, this time of invitation, that you would move freely. Pray if there's one or many here that need to make decisions this morning, they would, they would step out. They would stand in faith for you. Again, I ask that you would freely move. I tell you I love you and I praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.